Ben Butter. I'm an author, writer and editor. Home is currently in the Upper Hunter Valley in New South Wales. In January of this year, I quit my job with the federal government in an attempt to break free from the conformity of office life, and I'm still working out what that looks like. My day can start anywhere between 6am and 8.30am. The sleeping patterns of my dog, a small cavoodle called Canella, dictate exactly what time I wake. Not that I'm complaining. The sound of her little feet running towards the bedroom is a joyful sound. It amazes me that every day she greets me as she went to sleep thinking she may never see me again. I grew up in a dogs-outside-the-house kind of family, but Canella has proven adept at breaking down barriers. There is no sleeping in the bed, but there is definitely a morning period when visitors are allowed. As she looks for a warm spot on the bed, I venture out to the living room to inspect the fire situation. The winter this year has been particularly cold in the valley, and the state of my fire has become a mild obsession. I've enjoyed the gathering of wood, the stacking of wood, the transfer of wood from the wood pile to the wheelbarrow at the back door to the wood box beside the fire, making sure that my supply lines are never broken and that there is always a ready supply of dry wood. On a good morning, the coals are still glowing red from the night before and all that is required is to add a log from the box, open up the flue and head back to bed. On a bad morning, the coals are cold and black and this requires newspaper, kindling, matches and some gentle coaxing. Once the fire is done, I retrieve my phone from the lounge room where I've left it the night before, and then it is back to bed. The phone sleeps in the lounge room these days as part of my attempt to wean myself from the addictive qualities of the modern phone. It hasn't gone well, but I find I sleep better if I could not have any phone usage than two hours prior to sleep. Some nights I achieve this, other nights I don't. Some nights I castigate myself for my weakness, other nights I console myself that these devices are made to be addictive by people who know more about the workings of the human brain than I ever will. I'm only flesh and bone. Tucked up in bed, I check emails and social media. My only excuse for this is that I recently released a book and checking social media for any sign of validation or recognition that I have indeed written and published a book has become another mild addiction. I think I'm slowly breaking the habit but the first weeks after release were not healthy. Once I have confirmed that there is absolutely nothing of any interest, once again, on any social media platform or in my email, I then move on to Wordle. I'm part of a WhatsApp group dedicated to the Wordle word of the day. There are only four of us, two in Melbourne and one in the US. Two of the three I've never met, but we have formed a little group through a mutual friend, and apart from Wordle, we also see it share chats about writing and office cliches that drive us mad. A current favourite is managers asking employees to lock eyes on something. None of us are really sure what that means exactly, to lock eyes. I justify the Wordle by saying it gets my mind going in the morning, but it can also raise my frustration some days. I hate the double letter words. Tibia was a recent struggle. A few weeks ago, I got waste in one go. I was expecting a cash prize, a call from someone, music, but nothing. It was all quite a letdown. I'm now ready to leave the comfort of the bed and make my way to the kitchen. Porridge has returned to favour this winter, and there is something relaxing and comforting about adding one cup of milk, one and a half cups of water, to a cup of rolled oats and a pinch of salt, and stirring it until it boils. Recently I've been feeling adventurous and have been adding banana during the cooking process, 
and then topping the cooked porridge with fresh, vine-ripened passion fruit and the slightest drizzle of honey. I make two bowls, one for myself and one for my wife. I make the coffees in the DeLonghi. I heat the milk in the microwave, though I don't tell my wife this, as she won't eat or drink anything that has been in a microwave. Well, I should add, if she knows it has been in a microwave. I then take coffee and porridge to my wife. She hasn't appeared till now in this telling, because lately we've been sleeping in separate beds. This came about during a recent trip to Europe when she came down with COVID and we took separate beds in an Airbnb. I had never slept better. Truly great sleep. And once I had tasted that, once I had experienced the day that follows a great sleep, I found it hard to go back to a shared bed. And the more I think about it, the more sleeping together makes absolutely no sense. Why would two people even think that it is possible that they should become tired at the same time? How many reading hours have I sacrificed so I could turn the light off? And why should my wife be woken at 3am because I can't sleep worrying about something trivial I need to do the next day? Why should I lay straight-legged in bed lest I bump or kick or in some way disturb the sleep of my wife? None of it makes any sense. Despite my best arguments, we're still in a trial period. My wife doesn't think separate beds is the solution. I believe it is the only solution. After breakfast is done, I shower and take the dog for a walk. This is a must if we wish to have a peaceful day. We usually take a walk around town, ending up at the river, where the old rope that the local kids have tied to a willow hangs limp and lonely in the early morning fog of winter, waiting for summer and brighter days to be gripped and swung from. I sit by the river as Canella runs the banks, stopping every now and then to puzzle at the ducks that flap and squabble midstream. Some mornings, if we're lucky, a local platypus makes an appearance, swimming across the surface, pushing a little bow wave in front of him. The river's changed a lot in the last 30 years, from the time when I first came here. It has rarely run clear since the coal mines bought out the wineries, and I wonder how that little platypus has survived all this time. Back at my desk, work is guided by what needs to get done, rather than working to a schedule. Some days it is jumping in the car and driving three hours to interview a subject. Others it is working my way through PDF files looking for rogue commas and typos. I keep a little to-do list as a draft email in my inbox, and I open that up and work through it. I approach tasks one at a time. If there is something I need to write, like an article or a newsletter or a blog post, I like to block out a time and give myself a set time to get it done. I warn my wife to stay away. To write, I need to go into some strange place of complete concentration, and sometimes it is hard to come out of that state and be a functioning person. So I prefer to issue the warning that I'm going in, and then emerge later and return to a normal state before interacting with loved ones. My wife calls this my Hemingway state after watching a documentary that showed just how mad he was. I'm sad to report that there is no correlation between madness and talent. Lunch is usually leftovers of whatever was for dinner the previous night. I'm not really a sandwich person for lunch. I like something more substantial. A result of living in Latin America for 10 years, where lunch is a major carb and protein event. But even as I eat lunch, my mind is wandering to dinner. What will I cook? What do I need to buy? Cooking occupies a lot of my thinking, and I'm constantly thinking ahead, wondering what to prepare. After lunch, it's back to work. I find 2 to 5 p.m. as a productive period for creative writing, whether that be writing for Galar magazine or putting together a post for my out-of-office newsletter. I believe I suffer from 
misophonia. I say believe because I'm not sure it's even a real condition, but certain noises drive me insane. The sound of people eating, forks on bowls, people breathing. Earbuds, therefore, are my friend here. And I usually connect to Spotify and put on a Beethoven playlist. Beethoven doesn't seem to trigger my misophonia. I find I can't write creatively if I'm hearing lyrics. But outside of work hours, I'm currently enjoying a gentleman by the name of Pokey Lafarge. I try to be done by 5pm, but again, I'm guided by what needs to be done. If it takes longer, it takes longer. After work, it is time for the second dog walk of the day. Again, a must if we're to have a relaxing evening. I walk to the local sports fields where I grew up playing cricket. I wander around the field throwing a ball for Canella and wonder how many hours I spent on that field over the years, never once thinking that I would still be walking that patch of grass 30 years later. Sometimes we walk around the golf course, but Canella has developed an unhealthy obsession with golf balls. She becomes fixated on them. If she finds one, she departs for the horizon, knowing that I will attempt to take it from her. Once she has a golf ball, there's no hope of catching her. Great exercise, but not what I need at the end of the day. Back home and I begin to prepare dinner. If it is in within touching distance of the weekend, I'll often open a bottle of wine. If it's cold, I'll go for a bigger red, like a Shiraz or a Cabernet Sauvignon. But I'm after something a little lighter, I opt for a Grenache, and I'm currently enjoying Thistle Down Wines, a producer from the McLaren Vale in South Australia. For the Shiraz, I'm drinking Small Forest, a local producer from the Upper Hunter. My father's family's from Sicily, and I must have got some kind of pasta gene. I can, and sometimes do, eat pasta four or five times a week, usually until my wife says she can't have any more pasta. My favourite recipe is simply to fry pancetta cubes with chilli flakes, then add two or three peeled and chopped tomatoes to cook them down. After about 15 minutes, I add 300 mils of cream, stir through, salt and pepper to taste, then mix through cooked linguine. The key is good pancetta, not the rubbish that oozes water as soon as it hits the hot pan. I do the cooking in my house, not only because I love cooking, but I also enjoy a long-running deal that whoever cooks doesn't have to wash up. After dinner, we might watch something on television. I'm currently enjoying Tuesday's ABC lineup with The Great Southern Landscapes with Rachel Griffiths that's then followed by Old People's Home for Teenagers. My father spent the last two years of his life in an old people's home, and seeing what he went through, and what the other residents there went through, and then comparing that to how the elderly are treated in other countries, can't help make me think that our treatment of the elderly in Australia is in a sad state. And I don't mean treatment by the government, but how we as people treat our elderly. So many forgotten people, so much wasted knowledge and potential. What I enjoy about Old People's Home for Teenagers is the clear lesson that engaging with the elderly, including them, learning from them, is so beneficial to everyone. After that, it's off to our separate beds. My wife to sleep, me to read. I'm currently reading a biography of General Sir John Monash, the man credited with winning the First World War. Once I finish Monash, I'll begin The White Moogles by William Dalrymple. I feel anxious if I don't have a big-to-be-read pile of books waiting. Hell for me is finishing a book and not having another one at hand to begin immediately. Routine and conformity can sometimes seem synonymous, but I've found that I've missed having routine in my life since quitting the office, whilst not once missing conformity. I've struggled to create a routine, and without routine, whole days can sometimes be lost to I'm not sure what. I've come to appreciate routine more than ever, 
but a routine on my terms, not dictated to me by old men who have pitched their tents in the sterile fields of middle management. I'm not there yet, working out what this life will look like, but I think that over the last nine months, I've assembled an idea of what I need to build a healthy routine. It is loving and being loved. It is contact with the natural world. It is a focus on one task at a time. It is the enjoyment of rituals that provide space for the mind to just be and recharge. It is good food, it is good sleep, and is looking forward to whatever comes next. I had the pleasure of meeting Ryan at the Mumbrella Publish Awards in Sydney a few weeks ago, and I just found his musings about Wordle and the fact that his days and the time that he gets out of bed are dictated by it. Simply hilarious. He is a funny guy. Ryan is an editor with Galar magazine, and the team took out the Best Publisher Award on that night, beating Australian stalwarts, Women's Weekly, In Style, and others. So good. Ryan compiles a brilliant Monday morning newsletter, Galar Weekly, which is free. I absolutely love it, and you should all you should all sign up to at galarpress.com. To add. Ryan has another personal newsletter, Out of Office, on Substack. Ryan Butter, B-U-T-T-A dot Substack dot com. His book, The Ballad of Abdul Wade, you can buy from all good bookstores, including Booktopia, which I've linked to in the show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you next week. <laughs>